Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I don't know about, about many of you. Um, are your Thanksgiving um, celebrations over? Do you feel like Thanksgiving is just you know, done and passed and now you move on to the next thing? Or do some of you maybe have some Thanksgiving uh, celebrations still today? Or maybe you have some coming up into the next week because family schedules just didn't work out quite right. I'm not sure how that works for everyone. I know the, the Thanksgiving experience can be different for everybody and I don't want to glamorize it in any way because I know at different stages of life too, uh, the Thanksgiving weekend the celebrations can be can be very different for everyone, um, but it, for me and my family, I, I I enjoy being able to say that we we love getting together. Um, I just got back uh, yesterday evening, yesterday afternoon from from being with my mom and dad and two of my brothers and all of our wives and all of our kids. There were there were twenty one of us together uh, for Thanksgiving for a few days this week, and when when we're together, it's a it's a good chance to just relax and kind of you know, take a breath, decompress a little bit. And uh, one of the things that we like to do is, is sit down and, and, I don't know, maybe you guys do this too, but whenever the, the younger kids are, are off to bed maybe and, and the older kids are playing some games in another room or off, you know, somewhere else doing some things, and sometimes they'll join us in this too, but usually it's later in the evening. We'll get into some pretty deep conversations. And frankly, you know, like we, we solve the world's problems, how about you? You guys, you guys do that during Thanksgiving? Um, we, we like to be able to do that. We like to just talk some of the big life issues. Uh, some of the conversations that we've had over the years, one of them that we actually had one time is how light can be in two places at one time. How many of you like to geek out on that? I don't know. I can't actually tell if anyone's raising it. Okay, yeah, there's a hand over there. All right, that's good. Good, I'm glad. Um, it's really fun stuff, actually. Some of you might actually wrestle with something more like this, um, like why God allows someone to be condemned if they've never heard the gospel. How many of you wrestle with, with that question in your Thanksgiving conversations? Um, sometimes we've actually talked about, there was one time a few years ago, we talked about that we can't explain gravity yet. I don't know if you realize that or think of it this way. Like we can describe gravity, right? If I pick up my phone, I hold it here, I move my hand, what's it going to do? It's going to fall, right? Very simple. Like we can, ex we can describe what happens and what gravity does. But we can't actually explain gravity yet. We, we don't have the science. We don't have the knowledge to do that yet. So like sometimes we talk about that. We try to figure that out. Um, We've actually had a conversation about, you know, like, what does God think about tattoos? You know, how many of you have had that one at Thanksgiving? No? Okay. Well, yeah, all right. There are some hands. All right. That's good. I think those guys were too young for tattoos, though. I think that was a two-year-old and a four-year-old. I'm not sure. <laughs> um, one, one that is kind of fun... Um, we, we try to see how many, so my, I should say real quick, my mom and dad live on a farm uh, south of Chicago about an hour, and uh, one of the conversations, one of the things that happens is trying to figure out how many of the farm kittens, you know, the cats, you know, the farm cats, how many of the farm kittens the kids can sneak into the house before grandma realizes that there are some kittens in the house that are supposed to be out in the barn, um, sometimes it's just nice, again, like to, to be together, and one of the things that I really value about that is that when we're trying to figure out and talk through some of these big life challenges, these big life questions, it's good to have a fresh set of eyes come into the conversation. 
You know, I can, I can bring my experiences and, and my thoughts and, and maybe like the things that I've studied about a topic, and I can bring that to a conversation. But whenever my brother or one of my sisters-in-law or Erica or, you know, anyone else, my parents, when, when they bring in their viewpoint, it just kind of sharpens the picture, right? It's that iron sharpening iron kind of idea, and that has to do with Scripture and how it shapes us. But, but other things, too, it works that way. I don't know if you have those kinds of discussions at Thanksgiving, but I expect that if you don't, that you do have them at other places in your life. Maybe you have them in your workplace. Maybe you just have them with friends here and there. Um, maybe you have this conversation even with your friends at school for, for the younger ones. You have these deep conversations, and, and I'm pretty convinced these days that we are looking for answers to life questions. We are looking for answers to the confusion around us in our world and, and in our own lives. So I want you to think about here this morning, you know, do you know how to answer some of these questions when someone brings them up to you? Do you know how to begin even just the conversation with someone when they bring up some of these really challenging life questions? Are you able to bring this fresh set of eyes to other people to help deconfuse things? And yes, deconfuse is a word because I just made it up. So that's the word we're going to stick with for today. It deconfuses things. How do you deal with those things? Even like when you're asking yourself these questions, maybe you're just in the car and you're listening to the radio and it just kind of prompts this question in your mind and, and you ask yourself some of these questions. Do you know how to answer this when this question of, for example, again, like why does God allow someone to be condemned if they've never heard the gospel? Do you know where to start to even talk about that? Do you know how to begin a conversation with someone when they come up to you and ask about all these LGBTQ issues? Do you know how to start that conversation, start a response back with them and be able to carry on a conversation? What about what God says about marriage and divorce, premarital sex, contraception, procreation? Where do you begin with those kinds of things? How do you address a question that's often asked about what God says about our relationship to the planet or our relationship to all of creation for that matter? Parents, do you know how to address the question of why your children just behave this way or that sometimes? Or to be fair, kids of any age, but, but kids... Do you know how to answer the question of why your parents just don't really think the way that you do? Why they don't value the same things that you do? We're confused again. We want something to deconfuse the confusion in our lives. So where do you go to get these answers? There's, there's lots and lots of places, right? There are plenty of textbooks on all of these things. There's plenty of discussions all over the place. Probably the place that many of us go first is, hey Siri, I don't have it turned on. Don't worry, it's not going to do anything right now. But you know, like, hey Siri, tell, what, what does God say about this? Hey Siri, what does this mean? Or how do we understand gravity? You know, like you can ask, you can get some answers. It's probably not the best place to go first, but you can get some answers. It can be part of the conversation. What I find cool about this is that we are actually living in a time right now that was prophesied 
in Isaiah chapter 2 and in this whole opening section of Isaiah, we're living in that time that was prophesied. So let me give you just a quick context here. Isaiah was a prophet who came to the nation of Israel and spoke God's word to them for many years, many decades even. And in history, this is about halfway between the time that the nation of Israel left Egypt and the time that Christ came to be born in the flesh, that thing that we look forward to, especially during this Advent season, along with his second return. So we're about 700 years after the Exodus. We're about 700 years before Christ's coming. And in these 700 years from the Exodus, the people of God, the the nation of Israel, had been rejecting God's law, his instruction. The word in Hebrew is Torah. You've probably heard that word before. In the Old Testament reading and in most of the Old Testament places that this is translated, we translate the word Torah to law. But it really means a lot more than that. It's not just the law of God as in live within these parameters and everything's good. It's it's, it's much more comprehensive than that. It's the full instruction of God for his people and for all of creation. And for 700 years, the nation of Israel had been rejecting God's Torah. At times, they had repented and they would return to it. And then they would turn again and, and wander away and reject his word. This pattern that kind of go, went, happened over and over. In Isaiah 1, we have a bit of a status update from Yahweh through the prophet Isaiah. And there's a very harsh indictment on the nation of Israel. It's not good news. We're told there that the God of Israel had reared children. He had raised these children who who didn't know him. He had raised these children who had rejected him. They rebelled against him and even followed after other gods. And if you want to continue that metaphor of God raising children, they went after other parents because their parent just wasn't good enough somehow. The nation of Israel, the children of God, were filled with sin. And part of the indictment is that even their worship of God was rejected. God had told them how to do worship. He had given them all of the instructions for what to do. And they were doing it. And yet because of their faithlessness, because they had rejected God himself, even when they were doing these things that he had commanded, because of their lack of faith, he rejected even their worship because it was an outward act only. But then in Isaiah 2, we get some good news. So these are two of the verses that we just heard read a few moments ago, verses 2 and 3. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it, and many peoples shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This was good news. 
And as with many prophecies in the Old Testament, the fulfillment for this would come in kind of like two phases, two different times, kind of in two different parts in a sense. The first phase of this fulfillment would be what we celebrate during the Advent season, but specifically at Christmas, that in Jesus, the word of God becoming flesh, God entered into the world to establish his reign. And that was established most fully at the cross where the reign of God began when Jesus was lifted up for our sins. That was the first phase of the fulfillment of this prophecy. The second phase of that fulfillment is the other thing again that we celebrate at Advent, that we look forward to. And that's the second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, he will establish his reign over all of creation, over all kingdoms in a more complete way. And that's a good thing. That's an exciting thing for us to look forward to. An invaluable part of God establishing his reign, though, on earth is his Torah, his instruction, flowing out from Zion, flowing out from Jerusalem, which both of those refer to the body of believers. His word is going to flow out to all nations. And again, we're living in this prophesied time right now. It's called the age of the church. That's often how we refer to it. It's the time from Jesus' first coming to the time of his return. And we are told that the word of God would flow out. And I'd like you to consider just how available the word of God is to us. It is more available, it is more readily accessible than at any other time in history. It's literally at our fingertips. You have it in your pocket or in your purse, or in your wallet, or next to you, your coat next to you, whatever it might be, you have it with you, at least if you've downloaded a Bible app, right? Or if you have access to the internet at any time, you have it right there. How many Bibles do we have in our homes? How many Bibles do we have here in the sanctuary, in our school building? It is so accessible to us, and yet we reject it. We reject God's word when we we just don't like it, when we don't agree with it. We reject God's word and and sometimes we just ignore it when we think that that it's not really relevant anymore because after all, it is pretty old, right? I mean, things are different now. We reject it, we ignore it. Sometimes we treat it as optional. Because we think we've, we've already got our opinion formed on something. We already have our thoughts on the topic figured out. We don't need to go to God's word. We, we already understand this, but we do. We need to. My goal for this morning with this message is, is really simply to drive us to the word of God. To desire it and cherish it more than we do. And I, I honestly wrestled a lot with how to convey that. And I'm not really sure how, honestly, especially just in one message. But one, one example that I like from how Luther explained this one time, speaking of the Gospels, he asked this question. He said, well, what if we didn't have God's word? What if we didn't have his deconfusing word that would reveal the design, his own design of creation? How dark would our lives be? If we didn't have that, 
How confusing of a mess would it be if all we had were our own opinions on any topic, on any subject? If we took all of our opinions based on our sinful nature that come from our sinful nature, from our own selfishness, if we brought all of those to the table without God's word coming to bear, that would be a mess, wouldn't it? Imagine what it would be like if we didn't have God's deconfusing word, if we didn't have his wisdom and truth that would serve as the basis for everything. To, to deconfuse all of the confusion. But thank God we do have his deconfusing word. And even though the common thought, the common thought today is that everyone has their own truth, the truth is that there is one truth to rule them all. One truth that supersedes all truths, which in fact aren't actually truths to begin with. God's word is the singular deconfusing word, the deconfusing truth. And it's more valuable than we really give it credit. We can't understand the world that we live in without knowing God's word. We cannot bring answers to the questions of life without that word that he has revealed to us. After all, he's the one who created us, right? He knows us best. He knows all of creation best. It makes sense for us to hear directly from him how things are designed to be. In my years of youth ministry and, and now doing youth and family ministry and all the things that go with that with faith formation here I've already heard here, but I've heard over my eight years in ministry, pastor, we need more apologetics. We need to teach the kids apologetics. We need to teach them how to defend the faith. And I agree 100%, but I always respond with this. Apologetics is good, but you can't do apologetics without knowing the word of God in the first place. Apologetics does not stand on its own as a separate discipline from knowing the word of God. How can we defend a faith that we haven't studied ourselves? How can we defend a faith? How can we defend God's word if we haven't been in it ourselves? I love how Psalm 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the Torah of Yahweh. And on his Torah, he meditates day and night. Learning the word of God is not an overnight process. It's a slow and steady process. And that really doesn't fit with our pattern of life these days, does it? Hey Siri, what's the answer to life's questions? That's just not how it works when it comes to God's word. We need to be in it. And when we are, God's word serves as that fresh set of eyes when our eyes are blurred by our own sin, when our eyes are blurred by our own ideas and even the worldview that we've been raised in. It is the deconfusing word of God that brings us relief when we face these questions. But most importantly, God's deconfusing word deconfuses the big questions about eternal life 
and salvation. Jesus himself is the de-confusing word made flesh who dwelt among us and saved us from our sin. Jesus Christ himself is the one who brings light to our dark lives. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the one who gives us faith that defies human reason and yet makes perfect sense once we believe it. So in the spirit of thanksgiving, in a sense, thank God for his Torah. Thank God for his instruction. And may God lead us all every day to cherish his deconfusing word more and more, to be in it and share it with others. In the name of Jesus, amen.